I got Peter Stodlar and Marie Cernay, Nero Nastaf, and I'll pick up Katie. Did I get everybody? Christopher in Ottawa. Oh, and Chris. Sorry, Chris. I didn't. I proper ticking, and I heard another beep. Who just joined? Uh, Margaret Walton with Atkins. Oh, hi, Margaret. Hi, I said my name after the beep. That's strange. It asked for it, but then it didn't announce me. No, it, it doesn't normally do that. I don't know why it even asked for your name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Goes into some mysterious database somewhere. Ah, uh, same say. Okay. So, today, um, we have the... Uh, Pleasure of uh, a presentation by Kate Closure. Kate's with the University of Ottawa, and uh, she's a PhD candidate there. And she's going to describe a component of her research and loss estimation. And uh, before we get there, I just wanted to remind people that uh, we have a session set aside at the Canadian Risk and Hazards Network Symposium for the Canadian Hazardous Users Group and the uh, Risk Assessment Users Group uh, to be able to meet face-to-face -face and, and make presentations on topics of uh, disaster reduction through risk assessment. And uh, the site where you can apply to put in abstracts for the, the symposium, the call for papers that's been out, and, and you can make your abstract submission online at the Canadian Risk and Hazards, I mean, sorry, the Canadian uh, Risk and Hazards Network site uh, at www.drhnet.ca, so drhnet.ca. And uh, there's a symposium in the menu and you go to that and there's an abstract session section and, and you can put it in. Uh, the call for papers presently is open until the 15th of May and, uh, and I'm supposed to close. I suspect it might go a little longer due to some delays in conference organization but uh, I wouldn't uh, bank on that one. So if you're interested in participating in that, it's going to be in Ottawa. It's in October 19th to the 21st in the main sessions. It's preceded by a session which is managed by the Public Safety Canada, and that's on Canada's national platform for disaster risk reduction. It's, a, it's generally an open session, and uh, it's... Uh, a platform that got started last year and uh, incorporates representation from across Canada on uh, representatives that uh, uh, are affiliated with groups or, or uh, institutions that work on disaster reduction. And that organization, the, the Canadian uh, platform for disaster risk reduction is uh, will 
will be broken into various working groups on, on different themes. And there's presently a science working group and a resilient cities working group. And uh, each of those will be reporting uh, what their activities have been during the year at, at that session. Uh, so that, that precedes the conference. Uh, well, it's probably on, I think it's on the 18th. And so if you're interested in that, you keep that in mind as well. And uh, all the other uh, information about the conference is also at that website. Uh, are there any uh, questions about that particular aspect? All right. Well, another thing we've been able to do is finagle the Canadian Risk and Houses Network Symposium to be in Vancouver in 2012. Um, so, uh, another uh, opportunity for us to organize a, a more comprehensive session for the Risk Assessment Users Group and the Hazardous Users Group at, at that symposium as well. All right, um, so I'm going to give the floor to Kate and, and uh, Kate, are you hope that people uh, ask questions during your presentation or do you want them to wait until you're finished? Um, it's just a short presentation. I don't mind either way. Um, if, if someone would like to stop me and ask questions, that's perfectly fine. All right. I will uh, hand the floor over to you and uh, perhaps you could uh, first tell a little bit of, just about yourself and then, and then get into yourself. Sure, no problem. Well, good morning, West Coast, and I think good afternoon for the rest of Canada. Uh, as Bert said, I'm Kate Poger, and I'm currently a PhD candidate at the University of Ottawa. And I currently work under the co-supervision of Dr. Mike Sawada out of the Department of Geography, and Dr. Murat Sachiagu out of the Department of Civil Engineering. Uh, I did my master's at Carleton University under the co-supervision of Gail Atkinson, Dr. Gail Atkinson from the University of Western Ontario, and Dr. Claire Sampson, who is uh, at Carleton University, and I completed my master's in 2008. So the vignette, or the, the profile of my research um, for, for today will be mostly based on my master's research that I completed a few years ago. And I'll kind of um, touch base a little bit about my PhD research, because it is a continuation of earthquake loss estimations for Ottawa. So a little bit, putting my research into context, why study earthquakes or do loss estimations for Ottawa? We're not on a place boundary, but when you look at seismic risk in Canada, Ottawa ranks third behind Vancouver and Montreal for urban population at most seismic risk. And interestingly enough, last month during this conference call, um, there was a magnitude 4.3 earthquake just outside Ottawa that was felt throughout the city during the call. So, so the, the risk here in Ottawa is, is, is really real, and that's the driving force to, to my research. So the aim of my master's research was to identify areas that were most socially and physically vulnerable to earthquake ground shaking, and ultimately to produce loss estimations or disaster projections for downtown, downtown Ottawa using the Hazards MH program. So considering that, you know, back in 2006 when I first started my master's, um, this was one of the first times Hazus MH was used in a Canadian setting, so I had to trick the program, and I had to start on a very small scale. So my, 
My study area is downtown Ottawa, and it consists of only two census tracts. But um, with census divisions, I could go down one more level and include dissemination areas. So within these two census tracts, there are 10 dissemination areas, and we'll see in a few minutes from now um, the, the opportunities that arise from, from including a smaller, a smaller unit. Um, the area consists of Parliament Hill. Uh, it has a bit of the central business district, including City Hall, uh, Rideau Centre, as well as the Bywood Market, which is uh, a large tourist district in Ottawa. And again, the area is very small. It's about two and a half square kilometres, but it does have a wide variety of superficial geological deposits, ranging from uh, bedrock to till and offshore marine sediments. And when you get into these clays or offshore marine sediments uh, in the Ottawa area, and I think it, it extends into the Montreal area, you, you tend to get uh, amplification of earthquake waves, which will increase the shaking at the surface. So it's really important to consider um, these these aspects in your research. So when I started with Hazus, it did not contain the most recent ground motions. So the first step that I had to do was to to get an idea of, of ground motion. And I, I did this by creating user input maps. And the version that I used, I'm not sure about the newer versions, only contained Atkinson and Bohr, two, or 1995 relations. They had a list, but uh, working under Dr. Gil Atkinson, we, we used um, those ground motion relationships. So I used the newer version because we have this, this variety of geology in the small area. It's very important to include th these aspects and, and site amplification. So what I did is I used VS30, a shear wave velocity calculation of Canada. Uh, gathering information information, and then I input it into a site amp program, uh, and it was developed by Bohr, and it converts these velocity, these shear wave velocity and density models um, gathered from um, the shear wave velocity maps into site amplification factors. So I looked at different geology and the depths of those sediments, um, and then applied these amplification factors to numerous polygons to produce uh, four user input maps. Um, that are required for hazards if you're if you're doing if you're approaching hazards with, with or science hazards, including landslides and liquefactions. And it was uh, same methodology. I used the hazards methodologies outlined in the technical manual and created user input maps. Um, and I input these um, maps into hazards, but the results from these were negligible. We didn't see any liquefaction or or landslides, or at least that uh, contributed to losses. Uh, another very, very important aspect, um, for my research at least, was, was creating these databases because we did not have the available inventory. He did a sidewalk inventory of all 597 buildings downtown, lucky him spending all the summer downtown, um, looking at different aspects of the building. And the three most important criteria were uh, listing the building type. And the building type has everything to do with the the way the building will perform during earthquake ground shaking. The other aspect that was really important was um, classifying the occupancy class. And this has nothing to do with the way the building will perform, but the number of people that will be in the building to help um, get an idea of, of casualty estimates. 
The third parameter was building height or number of stories, which which we used um, to do crude calculations on um, the square footage of a building, which uh, is input in for debris generation. The other important aspect um, with inventory is, is the people and the population. So there's, there's two populations that we need to consider. The first is the residential population of that area, and that's a very simple uh, data extraction from Census Canada, because this this population will indicate the number of people at their homes during a nighttime scenario, so it's a 2 a.m. scenario. But in order to get uh, the afternoon scenarios, uh, you need to get the working population. And, and I approached the, the city of Ottawa, and they were uh, happy enough to, to give me this, this data for my two census tracts. Can I ask a question, Katie? Sure. Katie Hastings here, Vancouver. Here's a footage. Where did you get that from? Pardon me? Where did you get the square footage from the building? The square footage, it was a very crude estimate. We took into account the number of stories, and we calculated the area from the building footprint and did a very simple uh, calculation. Yeah, it's a, a very, very crude approach. That's what we did, too. Okay. <laughs> but it, it gives some very interesting numbers and, and some good uh, relationships, and I'll... Um, I'll talk about that in a few slides when I get into the loss estimations, but it, it does, it is really important to get an idea, even if they're a crude estimate. Are there any other questions? Can I also ask you about replacement costs? How did you calculate your replacement costs? Um, I, I tend to not, like, I, I did include them, but I, I don't usually uh, talk about them very much because I found them to be too crude. And the replacement cost was just, um, Oh, the table in the technical manual per square foot, I think. Right, so you use the RSV calculation. Yeah, yeah. Are there any other questions? Just one, Chris, BGC. Instead of replacement costs, did you normally look at simply percent losses in relative terms? Uh, no, it was, like, it was just a, a straight-up calculation for the occupancy class and um, the number per square footage on the table. Okay. It was, like, the main focus for me was more of the physical and social uh, losses. But definitely economical losses are, are very important, and, and hopefully I can get a better idea of that for the, for my PhD research. Okay, thanks. Are there any other questions? Okay. Um, and before, before I continue, just to outline the importance of, of getting the residential and working population during... A nighttime scenario at 2 a.m. in my study area, there's about just over 6,500 people there. But during the day, it swells to over 76,000 people um, that are in the area working. So it's really important to, to consider these because your casualty estimates uh, do change. So in my master's research, I looked at a lot of different um, scenario options ranging from magnitude 5 right under the city to magnitude 7 that are relatively close to downtown um, with increasing uh, distances from downtown. And there's, there's one scenario that I, I tend to focus on and present and publish with, and it's a scenario that closely um, lines up with the National Building Corner of Canada expected event. And this event is a ground motion um, that is expected to occur with a 2% chance in 50 years. So there's a lot of distance magnitude relationships or scenarios that could accompany this, um, one of which, which is slightly above 
the this expect uh, this expectation, but it, it's very close. Is make to six point five at an epicentral distance of fifteen kilometers from downtown. So the, the numbers that I'll be presenting um, will be from this scenario uh, during a two p.m. event. So remember that we have. 597 buildings in the study area, at least at the time, some buildings have come down and some buildings have gone up. Um, but HAZARD estimates about 44% of the building stock will be damaged. That's 264 uh, damaged buildings. It's a structural damage. Uh, and four of these will be, have been listed under the complete damage state, so either partial, complete, or imminent failure of, of the building. It estimates 135 casualties including four fatalities, and about 102,000 tons of debris. And what I did to, to help with the visualization of 102,000 tons of debris is I translated this into the average dump truck load. And with this scenario, uh, it would indicate that there would be over 5,800 truckloads of debris being produced in the downtown area alone. And the reason I include um, aspects of debris is I, I tend to have an emphasis on response, emergency responders. And this would have um, a lot of uh, importance when you're dealing with, if you had to travel through that study area, could the crews get by? Because typically, the more debris that you get, um, the likelihood of the roads being passable uh, uh, or impassable also increases. So looking at the vulnerability of, of the building type and occupancy classes, it's not surprising um, that the overwhelming vulnerable building type is masonry buildings. We've seen this numerous times in North America and Eastern Canada. Um, and it's estimated that there will be about 141 damaged masonry buildings, followed by concrete buildings uh, at 79 damaged buildings. And moving on to the most vulnerable occupancy class, again, it's not surprising that the most vulnerable class tends to be commercial because it dominates the inventory. About 155 uh, damaged commercial buildings, and this includes retail, restaurants, uh, all the way to office buildings and banks. The second most uh, vulnerable building type that we saw the most amount of losses uh, were residential at 89 damaged buildings, ranging from single-family dwellings all the way to condominiums in an apartment building. And with, with many aspects of hazards, when they, they estimate losses, it's not just number of damaged buildings, but number of damaged buildings in a specific damage state. Um, as well as number of casualties um, that, that's broken down into four severity classes. Um, so if we look at um, casualties and the breakdown of casualties, there's 135 that's estimated. Uh, the most of these, so 110 of these are minor injuries, but we also see uh, severe and life-threatening, or non-life-threatening, this is uh, severity two, um, severe and life-threatening, severity three, and four fatalities. So um, even though these numbers are relative, they're not absolute, um, it, it gets the attention of emergency responders and paramedics who need to wrap their, their brains around what kind of casualties uh, may, might they expect if they're going out on a call. So are there any questions so far? Okay, I'll, I'll continue. So earlier uh, when I talked about the study area, it's two census tracts, but I included a smaller unit of study which are these 10 dissemination areas. And this gives us focus as to, okay, within this small area, are there areas that are more vulnerable? And when I considered this, I had um, 
very surprising results until you look at them and you go, oh, I, I, I understand now. Because when you look at the 10 dissemination areas within the study area, there's a difference between the area that is most physically vulnerable. In this case, it was Bywood Market. Not surprising. Bywood Market has, is full of unreinforced masonry buildings. And it was estimated that there would be 83 damaged buildings in, in this dissemination area. However, when you look at the most socially vulnerable area for casualties, it shifts from the Bywood Market into the Parliament area with 53 casualties, followed closely by the area, the dissemination area directly south of Parliament, which includes a lot of high-rise buildings and uh, City Hall, at 52 casualties. And then you go one step further and go, which areas are more vulnerable to debris generation? It's neither the most physically vulnerable area or the most socially vulnerable area, but it is um, the one that includes City Hall, and it's estimated to produce over 2,200 truckloads of debris. And the reason for this is you need to look up for the answer because even though it has the less amount of damaged buildings out of the three, it has the most number of high-rise buildings. And that means that you have more material that is available to be produced as debris. So this just emphasizes the importance of trying to get down to a smaller unit of study because you do have uh, areas of vulnerability that, that, that do pop up. So uh, after I completed my, my master's work, we had the very exciting Valdebois earthquake uh, last June. It was a magnitude 5.0 at a distance of 55 kilometers and a depth of 22 kilometers. And uh, I was in Ottawa at the time. I was very excited when this earthquake happened. Uh, and when I looked at the numbers, I realized that it fell just outside of my scenarios. So the closest that I was able to relate to that I, I had already modeled and has this was a 6.0 at 53 kilometers outside of Ottawa. So what I did is I took all of this data and I calculated the ground motions, including site amplifications, and I input into Hazus to see how the model would estimate losses. And it, it got it right. It was zero across the board, no structural damage in the area, in the study area, um, no casualties, no debris generation. So, so the Hazus model and, and this, the trick model for the Ottawa area worked, uh, and it was validated, but it's a very weak validation because it was uh, a magnitude 5 at a considerable distance from the city. Um, but I did input that and, and see what the results were. Uh, for my master's research, I, I ended up getting some publications out of it for, for further um, consultation if you're interested. I have a monster thesis that's 324 pages, um, and it includes um, all of the methodologies I used for ground motions and geology, inventories, and the analysis uh, extending across the city. And there's also a chapter on a step-by-step -step guide on how to effectively trip the program to allow for Canadian setting, which will be irrelevant uh, as soon as we have the new uh, Canadian version of Hazus, which is very exciting that's coming out soon. Um, there's also a paper that I did on, on data collection. That's part of the 2008 uh, proceedings of the fourth Canadian conference in geohazards from Quebec City. And just recently in 2010, um, there is an article profiling the magnitude 6.5 results in, in a natural hazards journal. Kind of 
moving forward into my PhD research, I'm going to continue to do earthquake loss estimations. Um, but we've developed, uh, the, a new tool has been developed, and we're currently um, further developing the tool called ArcCanRisk. And instead of going block by block, which is what Hazard does, ArcCanRisk is building by building. And hopefully at the end, when I have um, loss estimations in the new Canada version of Hazard, we can do a comparative analysis that there may be some very uh, interesting results uh, coming out of that. And I, I hope to go one step further um, than loss estimations and, and produce a model, um, hopefully for a 72-hour period after an event, based on the loss estimations to, to help with um, decision-making and response and relief efforts and, and public health. If, if, if there's time, hopefully I can extend it to a longer period after an event and hopefully build a framework and strategies for uh, hazard-specific emergency planning that would be hopefully flexible enough to extend beyond the borders of Ottawa and include other um, Eastern Canadian uh, municipalities and maybe even other um, municipalities in all of Canada. So that's, that's basically the summary of my hazards research and, and the research that I'm doing in my PhD. And I'd be more than welcome to answer any Thank you very much, Kate. That was great. I, I do have a couple of questions. One is, you listed some papers that you have published. Yeah. It would be great if I had those citations and, and if there were links to them, that we could put them up on the GeoRisk site and that people could get to them. Yeah, I can see what I can do for that. And, yeah. uh, the other one was, about the magnitude 5 earthquake, when you did the analysis, um, did you check with the seismologist to figure out whether that particular fault that activated for the magnitude 5 could have actually generated a larger earthquake? And if so, did you run the model from that with epicenter at a magnitude 6, for instance? I did. I did. Uh, I, I didn't uh, speak to the seismologist, although I did do um, a public lecture that the video link is actually online. I can send that to you as well. But I, I, I did a lecture with um, Dr. Uh, John Adams from the GSC, uh, Dr. Marat Satiagu, Dr. Mike Sawada, um, and myself. We did a public lecture on this specific event. And... We know there's, there's strong evidence in the Ottawa area that we can get magnitude as high as 7. So what I did is I asked myself, what if Valdebois was a 6 and what if it were a 7? And I ran those, those scenarios through Hazus, and the results out of Hazus weren't, um, weren't that exciting. It was about four, 4 to 7 damaged buildings and no casualties and just a few truckloads of debris being produced, but I, I did I did run Val de Bois at higher magnitudes to see what the effect would be. Okay. Anyone else have questions? Uh, Katie, it's uh, Marie Chernay from Vancouver with a uh, few related questions. Sure. Um, the first is, uh, have you had a chance to run your um, analyses using the advanced engineering building module in Hazus? Uh, and if so, I wondered... Uh, how those results compared to your uh, dissemination level assessment, the aggregate assessment? No, I, no, I didn't use the advanced engineering module. Um, the only comparative analysis that I did was the default New York 
database because um, I had to effectively, I, I matched uh, Ottawa up with New York, so it reads as Ottawa, New York, and I used their default database uh, and ran all of the scenarios, and then I used the actual uh, inventory of buildings downtown um, to see how the default database that was available uh, would work. And I think, if I remember correctly, they did not match up, but they were still in the ballpark. But I did not use the advanced engineering component. Okay, great, thank you. And the other question, uh, related one, is uh, in the discussions you've had with end users, uh, from an emergency manager's perspective, what scale of, of uh, damage loss estimates uh, do you think is most uh, relevant or in need for your end users in, in Ottawa? Are they looking for building level assessments, or are they, are they uh, more interested in the regional aggregate assessments for regional planning? Um, so far, I've, um, I've spoken a lot to the city officials. And uh, I've, I've gone in and, and talked to the, the urban search and rescue team, did a, a lecture for them on earthquakes in Ottawa. So a lot of it is at the, the city level. Um, and so far, lots of the interest is in the number of damaged buildings, what type of damage we can expect in photographs, the casualties, because most of the audience that I've spoken to um, so far are paramedics, fire, police, um, and I've also had a lot of questions about infrastructure. So lots of it isn't beyond uh, city borders so far. Great, thank you. No problem. Hi, Kate. It's Chris DeRue here in Ottawa. Hi. Enjoyed your presentation. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. Is there anyone else doing earthquake research in the research in the Department of Geography at Ottawa U? No. As far as I know, I'm I'm the only one. Um, Mike Sawad is my supervisor, and he. He is working with me on this project, and he has done other disaster um, things, I think, with tsunamis, and I think there's flood stuff with um, flood mapping in the Ottawa area. But as far as I know, I am the only one at the University of Ottawa or in Ottawa doing earthquake loss estimations for the city. Okay. Do you, did you know Dr. Holly Donahill in the geography department? No. Is she at Carleton or U of O? Uh, well, she was a student of mine at Ottawa U, but she just graduated, I think, last year from your department. Maybe picked up her PhD. Oh, no, I probably have run into her a few times, but uh, the name doesn't ring a bell. I think, yeah, well, public safety is currently writing, at the initial stages of writing a uh, the National Earthquake Plan, and I think it might be beneficial for uh, you to come over, and I'll talk with the... Uh, the group that's doing it, uh, maybe you can provide some information and input to uh, um, potentially the plan or, or something like that. That would be great. I did speak to, is it Kathy Collins? I think that was the name. I, I did the disaster planning conference, the HEPCO conference, about two weeks ago, and I, I was talking to someone for public safety. I think her name was Kathy Collins about earthquake preparedness. Well, yeah, Kathy, Kathy Collins is the director of corporate security. And so, therefore, any planning that she does is uh, limited to uh, the corporate world for our buildings in, 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 in Ottawa. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the planning shop, so we, we look at the national perspective. Okay. Okay, yeah. super. Thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, hi, Katie Miro Massif here from Quebec City. Hi, Miro. How are you? Good, how are you? I have two questions for you. Maybe you can give us a little bit more detail on... Uh, 
on your PhD study with how you call that ARC uh, risk tool. I know it is kind of interactive tool. What is what is the risk assessment method you will apply? Just a little bit more details on that, please. Sure. Um, the the tool that we'll be using um, is called ARCAN risk, and I'm just pulling up my my slides on this, and it's a tool that estimates losses on a building-by-building building basis. And there's multiple tiers, so if you want a very uh, crude and preliminary assessment, we can do tier one. Um, and you could just input the building type, the number of stories, uh, whether there's vertical irregularity, uh, et cetera, and it'll give you a, um, a measure of risk index. Um, so the amount of building damage, the exposure in the building, the risk index, and the risk value associated with that. And what we've done is we've put it into, we've defined it into geographic space. So now, not only do you just have a static tool that you can input information into, it's, it's the working models currently for Ottawa, but you can zoom up on a specific building, and since it is related to, to since it's defined in space, it pulls up the information about the ground motion at that point, so at that building, as well as the, um, the knee herb information or the site amplification of, uh, information at that point. And then you can click on your building and the, the window will pop up and you can in, input um, more information or the information, depending on the tier that, that you would like. We have a tier two running, um, and that has more parameters because there's, there's a lot of vulnerabilities that uh, come up in buildings based on um, their structure. So there's vertical irregularity and, and walls and joints and design quality. Uh, and these are all available with the Tier 2 evaluation. And we're further developing the tool. I'm just trying to think. Um, some of my research will hopefully develop um, a social uh, calculation, so the number of casualties or an estimate of casualties and the type of casualties coming out of, of each building. Um, if, if, there's, if there's time and, um, and a, a, enough data available, perhaps an estimate of economical losses. We're also working on having a ARCCAN risk model or module for masonry buildings and um, an element to, to measure operational functional components or non-structural elements. And I'm not sure if we have a tier three, but um, it's, a, it's a tool that's continuing to be developed. So my understanding is, is that you still work on the methodology. Is there, are there any databases for like for City of Ottawa or whatever your study area will be, or it is yeah. only the tool itself? Yeah, my study area will be the City of Ottawa, and I'm, I'm, I'm still currently developing the approach I'll be using. Um, but I will be approaching the city and, and seeing if they have a database that already has some of this information. And um, there, there is rumor that there might be funding to, to bring in uh, a summer student or a co-op student to, to go over, to look at the buildings and input all of this information, um, and a student who has a civil engineering background. So we'll be using expert advice. Uh, through Dr. Matsachi Aglin. I'm not sure if he's on the line. He was, he was going to try um, and make this call, but also to see what the city already has available. Okay, well, this is great news, uh, Katie. As you know, 
with Geological Survey of Canada, our project, uh, one of the objectives is uh, to adapt the hazardous tool, not only the tool itself, but to offer future hazardous users various databases. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe this is a proposal for the Vancouver group who is organizing this uh, co teleconference. Maybe we can make like a, a database of, of, of hazardous study, case studies in Canada. Like, Katie, if you would like to, of, to, to give us, or actually not to give us, but to put your hazardous uh, input data in, uh, in a database. This is just an idea like... Uh, so the future users might, might already have, uh, uh, should not go through the, all the tedious work that you've done for your 500 or 600 buildings or that yeah. you will, someone will already do for the city of Ottawa. Yeah, no, it, it's definitely a, a good place, like a good stepping stone is, is to, to see how many people have worked with Hazus because I've heard uh, Montreal and Toronto um, and West Coast, I think Vancouver, I'm not sure about Victoria, have been have been using hazards. I'm not sure if there's uh, contractual um, uh, issues that would come up with with data sharing, but I think it would be a very good idea for anyone who is using hazards or has used hazards to to look into that to see if we can build a database. I think that would be very beneficial. Yeah, me, uh, Nikki, are you on the line? Yes, I'm on the line. So, well, maybe we can we can discuss this between us later on. But this this would be uh, a great asset for all the future hazardous users. Uh, one of the things we were uh, discussed and, and agreed to earlier in our deliberations on, on what we could do uh, for ourselves here, supporting hazardous users, was to make a tool for the geodesk site or, or an equivalent that would be able to map out the various activities that were going on, not only presently, but, but in the past, so that people would have, know where the work was done. So that gets partway to what you're, you're requesting, your own, and I, I think there was appetite, certainly, for that. In terms of actually uh, collating databases themselves in, into, a, into a larger access, that, that yeah. That's part of what, what uh, Murray and Nikki were taking on for uh, building a structure for BC. And uh, if that was working, then uh, of that would then go out for the rest of Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Bert? Yeah. It's Brenna with um, Jamie Kaplan Consulting. Yeah. Um, Jamie is actually working uh, the Higher Education Resources Consortium, which is also a HASIS user group. Um, it focuses specifically on the role of universities in uh, the use of HASIS, is uh, putting together a speakers bureau, which would have a lot of the information about what you're looking for there. Um, the next uh, has, uh, excuse me, the next Higher Education Resources Consortium call is on May 24th, and you can get the information at the Use Hazus website. So if any of you are interested, you should definitely um, jump on that call and see what's going on there and check out the Spiro Speakers Bureau information page on the website. Thank you, Ben. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. It, it has uh, application to what you just talked about in terms of uh, uh, access to knowledgeable people about that, but it, it also highlights that there is a special group designed particularly for academic research 
Uh, I know the uh, chief uh, who's uh, responsible for the uh, planning, uh, for the earthquake plan, will be heading out to British Columbia at one point. I'm not certain. I can get that information. Uh, how it's going to actually look, uh, I'm not certain. We do have an outdated, uh, we have the provincial, the BC province uh, earthquake plan, and we have an, uh, an earthquake support plan, but they're, they're out of date. So they're, they're, they're using these as a framework, but uh, I think, and don't quote me on this, I think there's going to be a radical change to the plan. Well, it's, a, it's a response plan? Uh, yes, I believe so. We, we just spoke about it yesterday in the, in the Chief's meeting and uh, how it's going to look, I'm not certain yet, but I can't come prepared uh, to the next meeting to, to tell you more about it, if not even have uh, uh, Denis at the table. All right. Hey, Chris, uh, Maurice Renee here uh, with a quick question on that. Do you know if, uh, if that will um, adopt the scenario-based approach for uh, framing the emergency uh, plan or... Is there another uh, approach method that will be used for, for framing the, uh, the plan? Hi, Mary. Good to hear from you. I'm not certain. I'm going to go see uh, Denny today and, and see what approach they're going to use. Yeah. But I will get back to you either myself for the next meeting or even uh, try and include Denny if he's interested to sit in and uh, talk about it. That's great because uh, there's, there's some related activities that may be relevant to, uh, to that planning process. Absolutely. All right. Does anyone else uh, else want to add anything before we sign off? Uh, just a quick announcement, if I may, Bert, it's uh, Murray here. Yes, certainly. Um, just a uh, heads up to everyone on the line and, and your colleagues. Um, one of the objectives uh, for our project this year will be uh, working with colleagues uh, um, uh, at SEMA and their partners to uh, put together a, a training program leading up to uh, the launch of the North American version of Houses in the fall. And uh, we're looking for ideas and suggestions at this stage for what kind of material would be of interest to you um, over the, the course of months between now and the fall. Uh, we're looking to put together a, a short curriculum that would uh, lead up to the actual uh, training workshop itself. Uh, they would probably be a series of webinars um, similar perhaps to format to what we're doing here. Um, and we would bring in uh, various people to, uh, to shine some light on specific aspects of Hazus in its current state, but also uh, where we're hoping to take it uh, for use in Canada. So it's a, an invitation and a call to all of you. Uh, if you have thoughts or suggestions, uh, for, um, Mr. Bird. And they can go directly to you, Murray? I can come directly to me or uh, to Bert or to Nikki, uh, whichever uh, whichever works. All right, thank you. Anyone else? All right. Well, just, well, again, oh, just, just for info here in Quebec City, we got uh, an email, like all the offices, federal or broad schools, everything is closed because of the snowstorm. So you're having a snow day. <laughs> snow day in April. <laughs> End of April, not only April. <laughs> oh, I, uh, I feel for you. Yeah. Okay, thank you very much, Bert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much, people. And uh, particularly, Kate. It was great. Oh, thanks. Okay, well, the next meeting will be on the, I think it's the 18th of May. 
a month from now, third Wednesday, same time, same number. And we'll see you then. Bye.